Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. is episode 240 of The Sausage Factory. In this episode I talk to Alex Rushdie of 13AM Games about the action-adventure platform game Double Cross. But before we delve into that, let's look what else is under Kane Rince's vast umbrella. On Mondays we have Kane and Rince itself, of course, the book club of video games as I like to call it. This week they're covering Dyad. Yes, it's a strange little esoteric game. Not a mainstream title. We, to be fair, Kane and Vince doesn't do just mainstream titles, I'm happy to say. Then on Wednesday we have Sound of Play. A wonderful podcast that celebrates the scores of video games. That's the musical scores, of course. Thursdays, playwright, two people called Ryan, create games based on the ideas sent to them by their audience. It is most excellent to check it out. And of course, on Fridays... We've got a Sausage Factory, which you're listening to right now, so you probably know that already. If you want to know more about what Kane and Rince produces by way of not only podcasts, but also blog posts, videos, and indeed a lively forum. That's right, yes, there's actually an active forum. You can pop along to kaneandrince.com, where you'll find archives of podcasts and other details about what we produce. And there's a lot of it. There's a lot of content we make all for you. So go check it out. We also do Twitch streams. That's right. Now at the moment, it's just um, Sundays, pretty much. There's some stuff on the Monday evening as well. Jesse, he's doing Monday evenings in the US time, at Eastern Standard Time. Whereas myself, I'm on Sundays, um, I'm doing a stream. Normally at 8pm, British summer time, or Greenwich Mean Time, depending on what time of year it is. But this week, I'm having an extended stream on one particular game I've been very excited for ever since I saw it at PAX West 2018. The game is Rebel Galaxy Outlaw. It is a spiritual successor to Privateer, a game from the late 1990s. Or was it early 1990s? Early 1990s, yes, it's that old. And um, yeah, I'm going to be streaming it from 4pm right through to 9pm on Sunday. So if you want to... Pop in and drift in and out as you do, as you feel, by all means. But watch me play a space trading game, but it's not Elite 
dangerous. It's not as complex as that. It's far more straightforward, but it just gets to the point. There's lots of narrative and story going on as well. It's quite excellent. So, yes. Now, if you want to chuck us some monies, you can by actually subscribing to our Patreon. Just one US dollar a month will get you access to not only Kane and Rince one week early, that's right, you actually get episodes one week early, but also extended editions. Normally limited to two hours, but, you know, the general's outside the paywall, but if you subscribe, you get extended editions. Mm, lovely. You also have access to the monthly exclusive podcast, which is hosted by Jay and Leon, the founders of Kane and Rince. And also there is access to the platform specials, which Kane and Rince does every three months. So far there's been, let's see, Mega Drive, Game Boy, the original Xbox, and those three are all out for the public to, to consume. But the last one the on, is on the Amiga, which I actually was a host on, or a guest on, I should say. And uh, yeah, it's a really, really very popular episode, that. But you can only listen to it if you chuck us some coin. Well, enough about that. Let's listen to Pass Me talk about this extraordinarily beautiful game that is Double Cross. Take it away, me. Alex. Hello. Who are you? Hello. Who are you? And what do you do? So I am Alex Rushdie, and I'm the CEO and creative director at 13AM Games. You are indeed. And how did you make your start making flashy, lighty video games? So uh, I... I actually originally was working in uh, film and video production. Right. And I took a I took a year off from doing that just to do some volunteer work abroad and just kind of do some traveling. And while I was out, I was like, oh, okay, well, I either need to do I either need to go back into film because I wasn't quite happy with where I was in that industry. I either need to go back and study film again, or I need to do something else. And someone recommended. I try video games because I always love video games. Uh, so I basically flipped a coin and it landed on video games and moved to Toronto. And from there met uh, eight other, you know, strange men in a class about video game design, kind of a post-grad class. And together we started uh, making video games. And we were at a game jam and we made a, a little game called Runbo. And that was popular enough that we decided to incorporate and finish it just in the hopes that we could have something to put on a resume. Uh, and it did well enough to, you know, that we could keep operating the company. So that was, you know, five years ago. And uh, here I am today. That's quite a story. And it's not unusual, actually, to hear people from the film and other medium industry, especially film and animation, to make that mm. transition. What do you think was the thing that drove you... I mean, you said you flipped a coin, but there must have been something more to it than that, unless it really was just flipping a coin. <laughs> In some ways, it was flipping a coin for, for real, but I mean, I, I just sent out the application and said, whoever accepts, I, that's where I'm going. Um, but uh, what attracted me to video games, I mean, there were a number of things, and one of them was that I, I did always love video games, and at that time, I was kind of... Uh, disenchanted with where the industry was heading. I think that was close to the E3 where every second game was like a brown military shooter. And I was just kind of fed up with the games that were coming out. So I figured, well, if I'm fed up with the games that are coming out, I should try making 
games that I would like. And I also, uh, I was, you know, in, in the film, the film industry is pretty rigid. It's pretty old, right? And they've got a very set way of doing things and a set way of getting to do things. And, and it's very much about who you know and you have to get a lot of people and you have to have locations and you have to basically live in LA and all that stuff. It's very, it's very rigid. So I, I really didn't want any of that. And the freedom of video games is that you can do it from anywhere and you can make whatever you want. It's very freeing and there's no, there's really no set way that any studio operates. Like Ubisoft and EA have totally different words and terminology and processes from each other. It's like the wild west. Everyone's still trying to figure out how to actually make video games. Still, we haven't, we haven't set any laws or rules about how to make video games because everyone's got their own way of doing it and we're all trying to figure this out together. Indeed. I mean, EA's got surprise mechanics, apparently. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> bit of satire there. Just, just a little bit. Sorry, Alex. Just couldn't help, couldn't help myself. Good, when, like when he went, he went, oh, God, I've got to say it. Got some, if I didn't, one of our audience members would have been. So just, just do it. Just do it. <laughs> but no, I mean, it's... Um, I remember, yeah, there was that time when it all got a bit both figuratively and actually muddy. Games became yeah. brown. It was like... Yeah, the palette just became brown um, for a period. I think Unreal had a lot to do with that. Um, But, uh, yeah, there was was something going on, and people were were pining for the blue skies of Sega. I just need to remember that. Yeah, I I remember, I think there was a website dedicated to blue skies in video games. (laughs) Exactly. Can we enough? Can we remember remember Sonic? Look at all those colours! I was like, you know, and they had a point, but... uh, then again, uh, I hear what you're saying, but uh, at that time there was things like, you know, Mount Your Friends, which was very niche. But you look at it and go, someone said yes to this. No, they didn't. They just made it. And you're right. People just made stuff now. And that's what they mm-hmm. do now. They just make stuff, as as you've done with Rumbo um, and also now with, with Double Cross, which we're going to talk about in this show. And people really, really, really should play this game because... There's way, way more to it. The, the screenshots and the, and the, even the sort of a minute video does not do it justice. It's just, oh heavens. Anyway, <laughs> um, I, I streamed it for an hour. So I only I scraped the surface, my friend. Scraped the surface. <laughs> um, but um, no, it's it's it is interesting how. I mean, another thing I've found, found fascinated about video games is that other mediums will be focused on maybe one or two major medium components like. Uh, film would be uh, literature, typically, or writing, or script writing, and of course, um, the, uh, the actual art of photography, cinematography. Uh, you may go, Chris, you're oversimplifying it, but just roll me with this if you, if you let me roll with this one if you like. <laughs> Whereas literature would be obviously just the, the written word. Whereas mm-hmm. video games does all of the things if you if you let it. You don't have to be, but pretty much, it's got music. It's got you know. Art, of course, visual arts, and you've got you know, um, then we've got storytelling, of course, and uh, all of the, it has all of the things, which is both amazing and intimidating at the same time. Absolutely, right. Um, but uh, this leads me on really to my next question, uh, and I did say it's going to get harder as it goes on. This one flummoxes most guests, and it usually is a bit of a pregnant pause, but don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
it's not offensive in any way or sort of controversial. It's just it, it, it probably something that you may or may not have considered much, but I'm going to ask you anyway. What do you believe, as a studio, because you said you represented 13am Games as a CEO, so I'm going to ask you not only you personally, but also as a studio, as a creative force, what do you believe are your biggest influences? Hmm. Well... Oh, I, I should I should leave a nice lull. I, I like lulls. So. Yeah. Mm. Uh, well, for for me personally, uh, I think that I mean, there's a lot of things that I could talk about that were formative in my um, creative endeavors, uh, and I think among the biggest uh, was the fact that my 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 parents so when my parents got married or at least this is the story they told me I don't know if it's true when they got married basically my mother told my father okay I'll you know I'll agree to do this I'll agree to marry you but he got a promise to take me around the world and he said okay uh, and and um, uh, my father is from, uh, he was born in Sudan. He's Egyptian. My mother is from Canada. She's she's actually British. I've got some British blood in me, British and Swedish. So he had already traveled quite a bit, and she wanted to travel. And so they got married. They uh, they had uh, my, my sister, and then they had me. Uh, but they that didn't stop them from traveling. So once we were old enough, we traveled. Uh, every summer and every winter vacation, we were out of the country. So even from a very young age, I got to see the world, and I got to see a lot of it. And and my father was the kind of guy who wouldn't let us stay in a resort. We had to experience uh, basically how, how the locals would live. Um, and, and he was always fascinated by that. So that experience, I think, is is just huge in informing how I how I think about creativity because uh, I was I was the kind of kid that always carried around a sketchbook and I would always be drawing or imagining whatever was around me so that was huge uh, another thing that was big on me is uh, uh, Japanese science fiction films it, most especially ones with giant monsters um, those just took up my imagination as a kid and, and they still do Basically, I, I loved dinosaurs as a kid, and once I found out about Godzilla, kind of like all, all bets were off. And any time I would glance out of a window, I would try to imagine Godzilla or some other giant monster just tearing up whatever scenery I was looking at. Uh, and then, uh, you know, another major influence, uh, I think, on my creativity, uh, it's probably my, my faith. I was brought up as a Baha'i. Um, and that's something that, you know, is kind of a, a well of inspiration, especially the, the writings of the Baha'i faith are quite, quite beautiful. And they have a lot of vivid um, imagery to them that I would try to, especially as a kid, I would try to like visualize. And of course, the video games that I grew up playing, you know, I mean, I try to leave when I'm when I'm trying to be creative in the video game space, I, I try to leave video games as one of the last sources of inspiration that I can pull from simply because that way we can avoid doing what's already been been done uh, or done to death. 
but there's just so many video games that I played as a child that had such a huge impact on me. And, uh, I mean, as far as specifics go, I, I really loved, uh, I mean, obviously Mario and Sonic and all those kind of things. I also really loved fighting games. Um, F-Zero was a big influence on me, and one of my all-time favorites was uh, Elite Beat Agents and its Japanese editions, which I just played the crap out of. Uh, yeah, I think those are some of like the, the main inspirations that kind of contribute to my the, the weird miasma in my brain that, that tries to output creative thought. That's a wonderful cornucopia of stuff. <laughs> Potpourri! <laughs> If you will, Potpourri, I like that. Of, I like that of, a lot. Uh, just like a, uh, a mess of ideas and influences and all sorts, and it's just it's lovely. And it's one of the reasons why I love asking that question, even though many could argue it's, it's it's a very nebulous question. But if I frame it right, and obviously I did, and you you give it some pause and some thought, you get some really, and there's something for you to reflect on as well. Like, yep. I, that, that you know that thing that there is probably a reference to a reference to a reference to a thing that subconsciously I infused into what we make, and that's great because that's what all creative endeavors are about. You know, there's nothing yeah. new under the sun, as they say. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and I think it's something really interesting to to reflect on. There was this uh, idea that that one of my teachers. In, at George Brown, actually where I studied game design, talked to us about, which was the idea of, um, he called it your leaf. I guess there was an episode of Doctor Who where a leaf flew in someone's face and that caused them to look a certain way and meet the woman of their dreams and they changed their whole life, right? That one leaf. If the leaf hadn't been there, things would have been quite different. Uh, and so, you know, when I try to think back on what my creative leaf was and what got me into being creative, it was when I was a very young kid, there was a, I, I went to Zeller's, which is a, like a superstore chain here that no longer exists. And they had these Godzilla toys. And my neighbor, I, I asked her, what dinosaur is this? I didn't know at the time. I was about four years old. And she said, oh, that's, that's. Godzilla he's not a dinosaur and she got me the toy and then from there it was just opened up further as I learned about the movies I watched the movies and then of course in the old Godzilla movies they were all just a guy in a in a rubber suit smashing through a miniature city and as a kid when I when I learned that I was just so um shocked and excited because then I realized that I could do that like I could make those things so as a kid I would make stop-motion dinosaur movies and I would make you know rubber suit monster movies because I, I could learn about how those things that I loved were made and I think that really kicked me off into obviously film initially but eventually video games it's great isn't it rather than thinking oh no I've pursed the bubble I've destroyed the magic like no no, you let me see behind the curtain, and rather than me going, oh, that's terrible, I wanted magic, go, oh, great, that means I can use the things. I can be the person behind the curtain. Awesome. Yeah. Let's do that. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, it does remind me of a... Remember a few years back, maybe 10 years ago now, they actually made a full-scale Gundam in Japan? Yeah. 
<laughs> and my friend was like, uh, he he loves Gundams and stuff, um, and uh, mm-hmm. he's uh, he's he was he, he was being he was being facetious, making joke. He says, you know, it's fully functional, right? I said, no, it's not. It's not. It's not fully functional. It's not. He's like, yes, it is. They just they just don't use it. They choose not to use it. Like, okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's a grown man. Just let's say that. But just uh, let, just let him have that one thing. Yeah, you know, that, yeah. That, I, I just let him have it. Like, it's all right. I'm not going to question it. It's all right if it makes you feel good. It's doing no one any harm. <laughs> if you want to believe that, it's all right. <laughs> anyway, so. Next question. I'll tell you it gets harder. And this one is another one that uh, potentially, you know, could hurt someone's feelings. But listen to it. So, okay. what developer do you most admire in an industry and why? So, who do you look to and go, keep, keep doing that thing. You're awesome. You know, as much as I'd love to sit here and, and really think about it and, you know, weigh who who makes the games that I really love or who I aspire to, the, the truth is is that there's one developer that that I believe uh, pushed me over the edge to want to study game design and that's uh, treasure and treasure uh, with all their games like Gunstar Heroes and Ikaruga and Sin and Punishment the way that they designed their mechanics, in their games and the way that they designed their business to me was just really fascinating because in treasure games they're they're very explicitly games. They don't they don't try to hide that they're games and they don't often use um, I guess you'd say RPG mechanics to kind of fill out their titles. It's really often very skill based and they have very clear risk and reward um, mechanics that are very easy to understand. Like I remember, I was playing Alien Soldier on the Sega Genesis, and there's it's this Contra style shooter that's incredibly difficult. But there's a mechanic where you can double tap the shoot button, so you stop shooting, and you create a little force field that's very close to you. And if any bullets, if if you, you know you stop a bullet with that force field, you can turn it into health. And if you have full health, you can use a very powerful move that depletes just a little bit of health. So it creates this like very clear cycle that even before I had studied game design, I was like, oh wow, there's like, if you risk it, you're gonna get a reward and that'll feed into another mechanic which feeds into that and it keeps you know going. It was just, when treasure games are so explicit in their mechanics that it was easy enough for me as a non-game developer to look at them and understand how they could have built something like this. And it, also in terms of how they structure their business, they would work on license titles to like make money and then they would use that money to make whatever the hell they would want and they would make really weird games. And oftentimes those really weird games were not uh, financially successful, but you could tell that they really enjoyed making them and that people really enjoyed playing them. So. There's a certain elegance to the design of Treasure Games and a certain honesty about how they would run their studio that I just immediately respected and it you know carried me to where I am today. Fantastic answer. And uh, I think it's the first time I think Treasure might have been cited. I'm not sure, though. Been, I mean, this is uh, episode 240. 
So, <laughs> you know, so, so, it's a long time. I'd be surprised. You know, yeah. there's, there's a lot of game developers that, that use treasure as a touchstone. Exactly. Um, and when you mentioned Gunstar, when you said treasure, my brain immediately in my head went, oh, yeah, Gunstar Heroes. That was the first one. Mm. It's one of those famous games. I know they've made a lot more, and Ikaruga followed very quickly afterwards. But they've made a lot more than that. I know that. And uh, they are indeed a treasure. Sorry, I'd say it. <laughs> if I didn't, again, one of the listeners will be probably in their head. So you're welcome, everyone. So, no, fantastic answer. Good call. And uh, you're right. Their mechanics are very obvious, but not to the point where they insult the player's intelligence. And that's quite important. Mm-hmm. Their, their games are still incredibly difficult. It's yes. just you can understand them. That's right, yeah. So it's a, if you screw up, it's probably your fault, even though the level of difficulty of the game is high. Mm-hmm. So last question of the first half is this. Now, we have to ask it because it's a podcast about video games, therefore we are obliged to ask this question. What are you playing right now? So, uh, funnily enough, I'm playing two games right now. Okay. Uh, one of them is Sin and Punishment Star Successor on the Wii, which is made by Treasure. Uh, and the other one is, and this is uh, maybe for like a gaming podcast, this might be considered some kind of sin, but uh, for the very first time, I'm playing the original Doom. I'd never played it before. Uh, I picked it up on Switch for about $6, and I've been playing that and, and really enjoying it. I'm, I I don't like the whole thing of oh why haven't you seen this or have you read this or have you played this yet um, because I envy you now yeah, because <laughs> you know that's again it could be regarded as patronising but I'm not because you know you're for the first time you're going to experience the joys that is Doom and how very nineties it is which yeah I like I like that way of looking at it yeah. you know because there's there's and and that's the thing is that there have been times where I didn't play or watch something and then I. You know, decades later, I finally check it out, and I'm a little disappointed. But there's also those times where something really does live up to the expectation, and you're like, "Oh wow, I'm glad I get to experience this." Yeah. Like as an adult for the first time, and that's how I feel about Doom. Yeah. And uh, personally, when I think about Doom, there's one thing I re- suddenly regress 25 years, and uh, maybe 26 years now. And I was working in an office with lots of CAD machines, okay? CAD machines uh, then and now are very, very powerful, very powerful. Mm. So they could run Doom as, while they were doing something else. <laughs> so we could, we could alt-tab between Doom and actually doing <laughs> what we're supposed to be doing. And uh, I still remember to this day discovering the joys of telefragging. Because we were playing Deathmatch, four players, you know? Mm. And this is, it was uh, like, wait, how did I die? No, I didn't shoot. Oh, oh God, really? It's <laughs> a sudden realization that someone in the development team said, "Well, if you try to, you know, materialize while someone's still there, you die." You know, it's like it's just so id, isn't it? It's just like, yeah, yeah that's the kind of stuff we pull off. But uh, yeah, and Sin and Punishment. I remember that on the Wii. Good call. Yeah, because it was a sequel to. The game that came out in '64, right? Am I going crazy? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, which I believe they re-released on the on the Wii as well, because not many people could get it because it was all, yeah. Wow, there's a game. So, uh, yeah, excellent, excellent choices, and yeah, uh, good luck with Doom. But for me, um, I'll never forget uh, 
when, when I play Doom now, I go to the WASD when I'm on PC and stuff. And I'm mm. like, back then, that didn't exist. The WASD thing, keys didn't exist. It was all cursors and the mouse. People didn't. It wasn't until Quake. And then people went, oh, I can look up and strafe and circle strafing and stuff. That, that, yeah. that, that arrived with Quake. And uh, yeah, being able to look up and be in full 3D that blew people's little minds, including my own. Um, but yeah, good, good on you, my friend. Uh, my my best recommendation is um, with Doom, and this may seem a bit strange, but there's some wonderful videos out there of people playing it. A nightmare difficulty. Um, mm-hmm. It becomes a puzzle game, <laughs> <laughs> a very interesting puzzle game. I've seen it done, but um, persevere with it. Alex, I can't stress this stuff because it can yeah. get bogged down a little bit. Keep going because it does reward you eventually. But uh, you go, oh god, there's plenty. There's four caco demons in there and a and a you know a grand demon thing. I can't. And also, when you get the BFG, use it seriously. <laughs> Don't hold on to it. That's why you got it. Okay, so it's a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in the first half, well done. You made it. Let's move on to the second half where we delve deep into Double Cross. Please tell us. Is the first question? It's not really a question; it's a request. What is Double Cross? So, Double Cross is an action platformer available on Switch, PC, and now Xbox One. And it's about uh, Sarah Sinclair. She's an interdimensional investigator for an organization called Rift, and she's tasked with solving interdimensional crimes. So, it's you know, it's an action platformer at its core, but there's little elements of investigation and mystery uh, strung throughout. And the interdimensional stuff is very important, everyone, because basically it's it's not like fourth and fifth dimension. That's silly. No, I'm talking about parallel universes, parallel Earths, multiverse. You know, uh, the, the, the concept is a relatively recent idea 
uh, which then goes back to the origins of the universe. But let's not go there because that's just whoa. Uh, but into some wacky stuff. Yeah, it goes right in, the start. it goes into some really strange stuff. Mathematically correct, but let's not go there. Um, so um, the point is. You have multiple Earths, and these Earths could be anything. You alluded to it earlier about the leaf thing, although when I hear leaf, I immediately go firefly and then go, oh, no, too soon. But <laughs> there you go, lots of references there, everyone. Um, mm. But point is, different things could happen. In a slight, some of these Earths are very, very different. Some of them are very much the same, only rather than exactly the same things would be rather than... Um, you you wearing you you be you have a mirror of yourself. The difference being is that they'll be an inch taller or something. There'll be slight differences, but other Earths are fantastically different. Um, so different, yeah. in fact, that humans didn't evolve on the Earth. Something else, like big tentacle monsters, who are quite nice. Yep. Really, you know, they're, they're friendly. Very friendly. They, they didn't know. They can't help it if one look, looks like food. It's brilliant. Yeah. That was a great line. <laughs> He's quite nice. I mean, you like it. Anyway, um, so, yeah, and through this, various shenanigans, shenanigans happen um, very early on, and um, dastardly shenanigans, and uh, you play as uh, uh, Zara, and uh, she, she uh, yeah, she's got a, she's got a, um, a spark of... Uh, so they say uh, she's quite sardonic. She's quite uh, she's very nice and helpful, but generally there's a there's a spark of humour that gets her through the day, which is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, the writing is exceptional. So there's a lot of talking and discussing, but uh, the core of the game is an extraordinary action platformer that exploits the fact that every world you enter is utterly different from the one you encountered last. The only major mm-hmm. similarities is between is uh, there is gravity typically. I'm not going to go there, <laughs> but there is a form of gravity of some description. Other than that, very different things happen in them. So my yeah. first design question is this. Double Cross is a strong mix of platform combat and character-driven narrative. How have you found making sure each of these components do not dilute the other? So this is the... The, this was the ultimate challenge, really, of the game. And, um, you know, as we were, you know, looking back on it, there were a lot of challenges in the development of Double Cross. And, you know, being fully honest, we're not super happy with how that balance ended out. I feel like we could have done better. Um, but it is what it is. And I think... and and. You know, there were multiple versions of the game before the one that we released, and then there was even patches as we tweaked things further. But I think one of the important things about balancing these elements, especially the elements of action and platforming and the elements of narrative, is to to understand, I guess, the concept of, of flow. So... If you have a constant barrage of action, that can be very exhausting. And if you have a constant barrage of narrative, that can also be exhausting. But if you have that right amount of action followed by like a, a narrative chaser, it, it becomes really easy to keep playing and to keep going. 
you know, you really need those lulls of low energy in between the pieces of high energy. So the the narrative, while also, you know, its own thing and an important aspect of the game, really also serves as downtime between the missions. And that's really important. And that's kind of how those two elements interplay with each other because ideally you play a level, you fight a bunch of bad guys or you run away from a goo monster or whatever it is, and then when it's done, you have a clue that you can then take to Rift headquarters and talk to different people and get story beats and that kind of stuff. And uh, it, it kind of allows you to pace things a little more naturally. Whereas, uh, you know, even, even though I really love Sonic the Hedgehog, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog's like nonstop, you know, old school Sonic games. I love them, but it, they just keep going, going, going. And, you know, you kind of, um, I almost wish there was a little bit of downtime between levels and Sonic just so I could, you know, hop around and, I don't know, talk to Tails or something. Um, so th- that was really important with that. And and as far as the kind of platforming and combat mix, that we decided to leave mostly up to level design. So there are some levels that are more combat focused. There are some levels that are more action platform focused, and there are the occasional level that is puzzle platform focused. And that gives the variety that's kind of important to making sure the game stays fresh. And and really, I think one of the biggest things about Double Cross for us was to to offer a lot of variety and to offer a lot of ways for players to experience the game and to give them the freedom to do that. That's why there's the upgrade system where you can equip different things or the fact that you can choose the levels in any order you want. Um, by allowing the player to make those choices, it becomes less of a kind of forced, restrictive note. You have to play this and this and this and this and this. I think it becomes a lot more welcoming of an experience. I love that idea of actually controlling the pace of the experience. You do find that the actual levels and the we're going to talk about that in a moment and how the, the the combat and the and the platform mechanics work but you're right that downtime that just like can we just chill for a moment because <laughs> it's like this is kind of fast and it is very flowing and fluid uh double cross is, is very much about momentum and keep going keep going Cause if you don't if you do stutter you can get into a bit of trouble um which is what the, all the best platformers are they have this fluid motion to them that that's the point of them you keep on you know that's what people when you people are struggling with them it's typically because they've actually like oh what do i do now what do, how do i jump now and there's that that um there's a whole series of games the best ones double cross that i include amongst this uh this uh, pantheon of games that uh get platforming right because it's all about fluidity and movement and momentum but you're right there's nothing wrong with a bit of downtime and adding some comedy in the mix. <laughs> so that's good. Yeah, that's 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 important to us as well. And and I forgot to mention the the whole the whole proton slinger mechanic mm. um, and how that ties into that as well is that you know that's Zara's main mechanic for those who haven't played it is that she can aim kind of in a full three hundred sixty degrees and she can target things and shoot out this almost like energy grappling hook and if she shoots it onto an anchor, she'll pull herself uh, towards it and kind of fly past it. And if she uh, latches onto kind of any other targetable object, 
so you can grab it and and hold it and then throw it so that also ties into the fact that you know slinging across anchors is a platforming mechanic but grabbing objects and throwing them is more of a combat or puzzle mechanic yep yeah and uh that that sort of that mix is uh yes yeah, it's, it's, it's a definite risk reward thing going on there as well oh should i do mm-hmm. it now or should oh no i've just been hit by the thing so this does lead us on to the second question so each earth as already said uh, has its own set of rules in terms of or laws maybe in terms of physics and, and its environment how have you found this has been informing the design of each level within each earth how have you you know how much license have you bent or how much how far have you delved into this do you found have you found to to make each experience unique to the last Mm. So, the th- the three worlds uh, had similar but slightly different design methodology. In that, uh, the first world we designed was Reptaria because we we liked the idea that that an alternate Earth with where the where you know dinosaurs didn't go extinct was interesting. What would happen? You know, we decided it would become almost like a Mad Max style wild earth uh and that was interesting to us from a narrative perspective because we needed the worlds to be different enough mechanically that they're interesting but also different enough narratively to take advantage of the concept of alternate earths so that one we designed narratively first and then fit in mechanics later mostly based around the the idea of the mad max theme so you're running along a caravan or there's lots of these zip lines that you can fly around on there's a factory uh so those are based more on the the idea of the setting uh, whereas something like utopia was pretty much designed almost inverse we came up with the mechanics for some goo interactions swimming through goo or using goo to coat a surface to make you move faster and then we came up with a world that uh justified those mechanics so it was a world where life didn't be evolve beyond goopy, slimy amoeba creatures that much. And uh, because of that, the world is just filled with various types of goo and goo-type creatures and goo interactions, sticky goo, bouncy goo, all that stuff. And uh, the Thunderdome was a, was a, bit, of a, a bit of a mix of both because we wanted something to offer a little more of an intense and an action-packed setting, a little more visually um, exciting. And the idea of an Earth where robots took over was something that we found kind of like comical, but also very, the potential for a lot of visual gags and visual interest. So, yeah, we kind of designed that one almost in tandem mechanics and art alongside each other yeah and it, it's, it's just it forces the player to steal themselves like okay i'm going to this place now these this kind of thing happens here and my my mechanics and my strategy and my my pacing needs to be different and it just really mixes things up and i think it's just quite ingenious that you've given yourself this this free life license so that otherwise you'd have to you have to create 
everything's looking more or less the same, but slightly different because it's in the same, you know, world, if you will. Whereas yeah. this 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 uh, background you created, this this story, this concept of inter interdimensional detectives or enforcers, whatever you want to call them, um, uh, are um, are able to flip between different you know parallel Earths. And just you know, he's giving you license to do all sorts of crazy stuff. This is great. It's great. Thank you. So yeah, well, and, and it was also important that each level have a different mechanic. Yeah, not just each world. Yeah. So the combat mechanics. Then I want to talk about these because this took me took mm-hmm. me by surprise because they're quite involved. Um, can you take us through how they came to be? Was they always this complex, or did they event? Did you? throw it in as a, a mid-development thinking, actually, let's make more of this than we originally envisioned. Well, it was kind of a... They... They're, they're actually kind of more more involved than they even need to be uh, in the end, but they ended up coming in, you know, reasonably early on as we wanted to make sure that enemy interactions were interesting. Um... And we ended up simplifying them a bit from what they were originally, but the there aren't a whole lot of 2D platformers with true close quarters combat. You know, like uh, usually there's a lot of run and gun games or games like Castlevania Ninja Gaiden where you have this long weapon that can reach out in front of you. And we wanted something that was a little more... Um, a little more in your face, a little more lively, a little more impactful. So we were looking at games like uh, Astro Boy Omega Factor that has a lot of these, you know, up close and personal combos. <clears throat> uh, and also just looking at general beat 'em ups in terms of what we can offer. So Zara ends up having a, a lot of moves, and, and if you take advantage of them, you can really do a number on a lot of the enemies. Um, but uh, I, I guess our main goal was to create something that would have the freedom and fluidity that you'd expect in a game that has the fluidity of the proton slinger mechanic and the freedom of being able to choose wherever you want to go. You know. Yeah, yeah. I, I just find it really fast satisfying when you do a, a combo, and it's like you can see that uh, the the more you sort of link these commands together the more devastating your attacks become. It's very satisfying. Um, Thank you. Yeah, and you can you can do a lot, especially once you get enemies up into the air and you start you know, using some of those aerial attacks and proton singers and your different energy moves. It can get quite... You can do some real damage. All right, so last question then. And this is to do with... It's the platforming aspect, and there's something I've already alluded to about this, the fluidity of movement. And I just want to ask... Um, it's related to really the the sling, the the, the, the ability to uh, propel yourself from one place to another in a continuous sort of fluid movement. Was this? I'm assuming it was. That was was the was that the germ of Double Cross? Is that how all things started? <laughs> all roads led, all roads lead to this particular mechanic, and to make sure that you the player is almost always moving from left to right typically across the screen yeah i 
so initially, the initial idea for this game way back when actually had to do with magnetism and using magnets. And we built this prototype where you could kind of mag magnetically charge objects or you could magnetically charge yourself. And you could kind of pull yourself towards objects and float over gaps and stuff like that. We found it really interesting. So we decided to play around with it some more, and we ended up abandoning the, the magnet idea just in terms of you know originality and simplicity and stuck with this more energy tether idea. And, you know... Well, to be honest, if I could do it all over again with Double Cross, I would really, I'd probably try to reduce a lot of the other elements like combat and, you know, some of the more slower levels and focus more on the, on the swinging and slinging, just because it's my favorite part of the game. And that's kind of the, I think the most unique and intuitive aspect of the game is aiming at anything because we had a lot of goals because there are other games with with grappling hooks and stuff but we wanted to make sure that it was really um can, you know you could aim it in 360 degrees and that you could choose from multiple targets so that we could really let our level design loose and that you could use it um you know for combat as well so You'll notice that when Zara moves through the air, she's actually, and you know, some people like this, some people don't like it, but the uh, she's kind of, um, she has a little weight to her, and there's some friction, and she's, she's a little, some might say slippery, but she doesn't really slip that much, it's just that she's got some mid-air weight. She can't, uh, she's not like Mega Man, who can kind of have, like, turn on a dime, and that's to kind of really reinforce the feeling of momentum in the air, so that if you sling yourself, in one direction, you you get yeah you're kind of forced to feel that force and and lean into it, and uh, you can't just turn around and correct on a dime. So if you're slinging yourself in one direction, you have to react appropriately and keep the momentum up. So that was always something that was really important to us and something that I'm I'm quite proud of and in, in how that turned out in the game. Yeah, you should be. I love the idea that uh, things kind of slow down when you're aiming for the next one. It's very forgiving that mm. way, but it does allow you to to chain right across like a lava pit you look down and go i'm gonna die no you'll be fine just keep going <laughs> and you do you just sort of you know top skip and jump and keep going keep going keep going and there's lovely bits where there's like collecting items and you can find secret areas only because you've actually managed to successfully sort of um use this mechanic and it's rewarding the players mm -hmm. for their um tenacity and actually getting a handle on how this actually works. So, no, it is something to be proud of. I just wanted to talk about it objectively because that's the one thing that struck me when I first played Double Cross was how when I was I was on the demo was the um, on the um, caravan and you're sort of jumping between each sort of pod or, or bit of the caravan and um, it uh, and all these dinosaurs are sort of trying to bite your head off whilst. Uh, you're just simply sort of jumping over them and then stamping on the head, and it's just just the fluidity. I keep on using that word. Sorry, but it's the best one, best uh, adjective I can come up with to describe uh, double cross. It's just fluid, um, and from from not only just the, the the platforming action, but also in everything else it does, the animation and the storytelling and the graphics and the color and just the art the, the art design is just fluid. So yeah. Awesome. Thank you. 
So, as you've already said earlier, Double Cross uh, by 13am Games is out now on Windows PC, is that right? Yeah. yeah. Xbox One and Switch. I initially played it on Switch, but uh, I actually have it on Windows PC. Um, that makes my life easier when streaming. <laughs> <laughs> and also I like playing games on my PC a lot uh, it's just uh, I've got a nice really nice really nice seat so <laughs> but uh, but then you know I, I, I appreciate the, the mobility of the Switch as well Alex it's been great having you on the show it's been great being here thanks for inviting me on yeah, I, I hope you enjoyed it I know I did and I hope our audience did but uh, you're more than welcome to come back on to talk about your next endeavour whatever that may be we have had return guests because the show has been going for a very long time. And uh, so we've had people come on three, four times <laughs> to chat about their new endeavours. And again, you're, you're more than welcome to do so. So so thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'd love to. We, uh, I mean, we, we, we sort of announced our next game, but it'll be uh, more publicly announced, I think, in the coming months. So I'm sure we'll have something to chat about. Awesome. 